the edges are full of surprises, but surprises you need to enact in order to turn into surprises in something useful. Hi, Vicki Robin here, host of What Could Possibly Go Right, a project of the Post Carbon Institute. We interview cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good, asking each of them in a short deep dive interview, our core question, in the midst of all that seems to be going wrong or awry, what could possibly go right? Our guest today is May East. May East is a sustainability educator, a spatial planner, and a social innovator. Her work spans the fields of cultural geography, urban ecology, and women's studies. Designated as one of 100 global sustainability leaders three years in a row, she leads a whole generation of regenerative designers and educators in 54 countries working with community-based organizations in projects strengthening climate resilience, food security, and livelihood action. A UNITAR fellow, she has an MSc in spatial planning with a specialization in the rehabilitation of abandoned villages. Her passion is to co-develop project-based learning trajectories, supporting indigenous and migrant communities and their traditions to survive in rapidly changing environments while enhancing their opportunities to become designers of their own desired futures. Her website says, I am an edge worker. An edge worker can be, edge work can be practiced anywhere in the world. What you most need to thrive on is alertness so that the chances of discovery increase. And I think that is such a great definition of cultural scouting, the alertness to the possibilities that are rising every moment. You will see all of these elements I just talked about, about May in, in this interview. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome, May East, to What Could Possibly Go Right. And since April of 2020, I've been recording conversations with people I call cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good. And I think I needed to see with a lot of help from my friends as the world as we knew it started to unravel last year. And you and I have been in sustainability biz for many decades, promoting communitarian earth aligned ways of life. And I think we first met at the Alternatives to Consumerism Conference hosted by Sulak Siberaxa in 1997. And again in Brazil sometime around 2014 promoting Transition Town. So we've been in this for a while. And for people like us, the breakdown of the old seems to open space for something better to grow, a more compassionate, flourishing, just way of life on earth. So actually, do you see alternatives to consumerism sprouting now? I mean, what lights do you see on the horizon? So here we go in the midst of all that seems to be going wrong. May, what could possibly go right? I think one of the potential regenerative trends that is emerging right now, and is the one I would like to explore with you, is not about the dying of the world world or the emergence of the new world, but the edge between the two. So when we look at ecosystems, for instance, in my home country, when Cerrado, which is savanna, meets tropical forest, you have a buffer zone, you have a zone of transition. 
where you have species of the forest, species of the cerrado, the savanna, and you also create conditions for new species to emerge that are unique from that buffer zone. It's called ecoton from the ecological sciences. Right. It stands for ecology's intention is a Greek word. And this is a place of high intensity, high potential and diversity. So if you're an ecological designer and you want to bring more life into your system, there is a law that says maximize your edges because the edges are very productive. And then you bring more diversity, more life to your system. And I see right now this edge being very much awakened because it's very clear that for years we have those who have been uh, midwifering the new, the transition right. towns, the eco villages and all that. So we are prototyping the new. And we also see a dying world, you know, in terminal. And we have all the nurses that are, in, but we, we had few of us who were very much in the edge between the two of them. And right now with this convergence of multiple crises, superimposed by a global health crisis, made many people transiting to the edge and knowing that at the edge, there is this great potential. And those who have been, you know, the, the pioneers, they're still very important to continue pioneering. And those who are tendering a, a, a dying system that is still have the good and the beautiful and the truth, they're still there but there are many edge workers right now. So I think the most important for us now is to develop uh, attitudes or protocol, how it is to work at the edges. And that's where my thinking is right now, because working at the edges are very different than prototyping or you know, tending something that is dysfunctional or going against. For many years, I have worked into Disconstructing, uh, I would wake up in the morning and where do I put my thinking? I put my thinking disconstructing dysfunctional patterns of a dying world. And then, you know, from the 90s onwards, when I moved to Finhorn, I said, oh no, you know, thinking about Buchemister Fuller saying, when you want to create the new, focus on in the new until the old becomes obsolete. So I, I focus only on the new. And that's where my raison d'être and, and wake up in the morning, that's what I was activating. And then suddenly I moved to the edge. I realized that I need to work with the structures. I needed to work with the mega trends, with United Nations. I need to do, but also not losing the sight of the mosaic of emerging regenerative um, uh, communities, uh, in, entrepreneurship, businesses, and lots of things growing from there, brewing from there. So I think what is going, what is emerging, you know, to address this provocative question and say, what is the protocol for edge workers? And I have some thoughts, but I would be interested to hear from you what you think about this uh, proposition. 
Well, uh, honestly, you're singing my song. I've been, honestly, I, I, I actually wrote a book about freedom and limits 20 years ago that never got published. Trying to work with, my cat is screaming at me right now. She may join us. But trying to work with this, that the ideology of freedom that is dominant in Western societies, it's sort of the sine qua non, is actually... Um, denies the power of limits. And so I was trying to talk about the power of limits and I came across this idea of ecotone, you know, that, that, that basically trying to, what I said, I wanted Americans to fall in love with freedom, with, with limits, the way we've fallen in love with freedom. How can we make limits sexy, borders, boundaries? How can we make those things not just something to break through or break away from, but something to engage with, you know? So I've been on this thought for quite some time and was so excited to find that term. And I've also sort of been in a bit of an edge walker, not super courageous, but you know, I've, I'm just all, always curious. I'm always going to the edge, like looking over, like seeing what's out there. So I agree. And yet it's, um, I think there are a few who, have toler uh, who can tolerate the ambiguity of edges, who can tolerate the necessity to let go of your conviction that your way of doing things is the right way of doing things. Because a lot of the edges that are, we're, we're bumping into now, when you see this in the world, I mean, you know, we have a rising right-wing militias in the United States. And I'm sure this is happening in other countries. And that's quite an edge. You know, it's like, these are people who, who come up to the edge and just decide I'm gonna win. That's, that's the deal, is I have to squash what's on the other side. So this, I think there is a, I think what you're saying is that there are a set of requirements for becoming comfortable on edges. I think, it would be brilliant. We could start it right now to uh, start the school of edge walking in, um, in cultural and social transformation. Sounds so highfalutin that people would probably sign up tomorrow. Um, and I think there are certain, in these interviews that I've been doing, conversations, I'm picking up a lot from the people who are willing to speak with me. And I'm like really do, going eclectic because like I need to see every edge. And one thing is that we have to question our assumptions. It's like, it's that, that's part of edge walking is you have to be willing to question whether the things like you were saying, oh, I was first certain that we analyze what's wrong. Now I'm, now I'm certain like we promote what's right. And now I'm like, you have to be willing to be in, in a sort of grounded confusion. <laughs> you know and and I, and I think also I, I call it like framework literacy you have to you know love the frameworks that you bring to things but understand that there are only one that's only one way you know to sort out the onslaught of reality as it comes at you you know what I mean it's like my framework is just one framework and if you can even entertain one more framework of, for understanding what's going on, that, that's what's required. Edge workers have to be able to try on a lot of frames and even the ones that seem aggressive that are coming from the cerrado, 
you know, like, no, that's not the way to do things. You don't understand. Mm -hmm. uh, us forest people understand, but the, the Savannah people don't. You have to like, like go over there, try on their framework and see if there's anything in there that you love. So I think that's a piece of it, a sort of a grounded confusion, a framework literacy. And I think you have to start reading in a, in a range of um, disciplines, you know, like it, it, this is not a melting pot. It's not multiculturalism. It's sort of that each one of us comes with a basket of things we've studied embarrassingly, none of them fitting together. You know, if you've been in a profession and you've executed well in one domain, you're probably not an edge walker. You have to like start to like, you know, you have to be a, an academic and a dancer and a swimmer and, and a knitter <laughs> or a, you know, it's, it's, it's that, that sort of multilingual thing. Mm. I just think and I would love, I mean, I, I call it cultural scouting. I'm sort of interviewing myself in your presence, but um, I've been thinking this is a, a teachable skill. I think edge walking or cultural scouting or being able to see in the confusion of the times is a skill, uh, a way of being. And I even think this question, what could possibly go right? is a piece of it. It's a way of looking at what's coming that asks you to suspend some of your assumptions. So I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> yes, I, I'm touched by your resonance and the fact that you have paved your way also by thinking those aspects of edge work. And I'll say that certainly at the edge, which I don't think is marginal, edge actually is at the center. That's already a shift in thinking that you think that edge always edges are at, you know, at the at marginal. I'm thinking about edge at the center. And I have coined this uh, concept of social tone, which is society's intention. And uh, within the society's intention that we are leaving this so much, every country right now, it has exacerbated with the global uh, health crisis. Um, it is there, it's like, it's like uh, homeopathy, it's like giving like, so it's like, uh, it is within the social tone that new ma matrices of of society would emerge is not only on the prototypes or in the old, it's there that is going. So we have to hold our breath and be at the edge because it's from there that I think that the patterns uh, that are, border, are at the border of manifestation will be manifesting from the edge. So, yeah. and I think also there is a way of you practicing systems thinking for systems change because while you are very much purist so oh, i'm on this or on that court maybe you won't be able to see this multitude of belief systems that you know have been um expressing more and more with great strength so systems thinking for system change will be i think uh, uh i would say enhanced 
or it, it, we create the conditions for this within the edges. And so uh, it is a working hypothesis is something that I've been working in. There are some principles that I've been practicing and one of them is about positioning yourself in the flow and letting life unfold through you yes. uh, much more. And sometimes, you know, the, the positioning the flow means a very gentle stream where everything's going wrong. You know, you wake up in the morning and one thing unfold after another it, it, in, in a very graceful way. And sometimes it seems that you are, you know, in a hurricane, you know, there's so much energy, so much intensity at the edge. And, um, and, and these times you can use, you know, some, some uh, moments to uh, capture some of the intensity and, and keep this, this intensity for uh, future use and, and, and serendipity is something else that happens in the edge as well, because the edges are full of surprises. And uh, surprises is not a question of luck, it's a question of enactment. So if you are at the edges and, and, and um, serendipity thrive on alertness, so while in the edge, surprises emerge, but surprises you need to enact in order to turn into surprises in something useful. So is another principle, you know, uh, becoming really alert with your eagle eyes while you're at the edge because new patterns can emerge from there. So it is intense, it's systemic, uh, it can be full of surprises and um, you can thrive in alertness and can be really tiring, but sometimes you take, can take refuge at the, I would say at the tower from where the flow comes and, and then gain a, 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 you know, a, an aerial view of what's happening before you plunge back into the system and continue activating and um, doing your piece of service at the edges, which for me are not marginal. They are very much at the center of our generation right now. Oh my God, I'm, I just like, this is so great. So um, in the melee of politics in the United States in the last four years, um, I've, you know, my, my, my heart and soul is sort of Bernie, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I just, that's, that's my, that's what I would love politics to achieve is like a good life for everybody, a fairness and just society for everybody. But the, I found myself, everything was flying apart so extremely, you know, surprisingly, I didn't know what to do with it. And I found myself saying that the most radical thing I can do is stand in the center. And, and, and in a way I was losing my credentials as an articulate progressive and I, I wasn't saying, no, we have to be centrist, you know, and sort of we have to, you know, it's not like reconciling everything short, you know, like underneath the, the sort of the dome of the way things are, you know, it's not, but it is the capacity to, to stand at the center and actually listen for what's trying to happen. Because standing on the edges is actually contributing to uh, a polarization that is going to intensify 
the distress. And maybe I want to do that and I can stand on the edge and I can shout from my soapbox. And I've done that plenty of times. But but in fact, it's radical to be able to stand to, to stand in the center and to overcome your own tribal instincts to agree with your people. You know, this is this is my language for it, you know, um, and uh, and to be inquisitive in a society where people are forming armies and lining up against one another and taking stands to stay inquisitive uh, is um, I just felt it was uh, the most radical thing I could do. You know, uh, so that's a piece of it. You know, it's like when you and I started out and you started out differently, but it did seem that there was a long runway to the future. There were many choices that we could, you know, lean into our surfboard one way or another and make something in the future different. Now, I think the future is 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 upon us. It's we're in it, you know. There isn't something that we're preparing for. This is it. And so it does require, it requires sort of a, a some, something that's between humble, like a cheerful willingness to be wrong <laughs> you know? and, um, and bold, like a cheerful willingness to, to step in and experiment because that's also what happens on edges. I love this reframe that about edges not being, because to say the edges are out there is to say, I am the center of the universe and I define edges by my centrality in this story. But to say that edges are like these eddies, they're opening up everywhere. Edges are everywhere. You know, every like supermarket encounter, every, you know, Zoom call, everything is an edge, you know, then you like, it's edgy. Now things are edgy. Now mm -hmm. they're edgy yeah. and um, people are on edge. You know, they are less willing to tolerate difference um, because they're frightened. People are frightened. I mean, to be honest, you know, I mean, it's not like I consciously feel fear, but I know that um, I'm living in a destabilized reality where I have very little control over my story at all, you know? <laughs> and at my age, you know, the story is, oh, well, I'm going, you know, I'm getting older and, you know, you, I can't create a perfected story around myself because everything's on edge. So it is, I like the word maturity. I think I, that's where my hope is, you know, it's like a tolerance for complexity, a capacity for systems thinking, a willingness to acknowledge that your point of view isn't the only one on the planet, um, a sense that that you can only do so much, but a almost like a reckless courage that you're going to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, uh, and I think I think we're we're both trying to describe this way of being. And I do have like a little quiet hope for this podcast that it encourages people to think in this way. I don't have hope for the future, but if I have a faith, it's a faith that, that um, well, number one, a faith in life, but number two, 
a faith that that maybe grown-ups will behave in a way that you know <laughs> that allows what needs to happen to happen in such a way that that something of what's beautiful about the human presence on the planet persists. Over to you, May. <laughs> well, um, I, I, I would add to this conversation the fact that the greatest design challenge for our generation is to redesign our human presence in the planet. And why we are all talking about or about sustainable development goals, sustainability became a topic of those who have been prototyping this for a long time. I say we don't have any more time for sustaining uh, an impacted balance uh, presence. Uh, we need to move very fast into regeneration. Fast in the sense of not the same rapidity uh, in which you know, GDP is measured, which is uh, uh, you know, the, the pace in which we extract, produce, consume, and dump in a linear way that generates uh, GDP. That's how we explain prosperity. So I think um, we need to train ourselves to become regenerative practitioners at the edge, because mm -hmm. at the edge we can, if we maximize edge, we maximize diversity, we maximize potential of life. And doing this in a regenerative way, not in a sustainable way, regenerative in the sense that every, every action, every thinking, every pattern of thought needs to add more life into the system so that the system can continue to survive even though the day you're not there anymore. The system creates its resilience to continue co-evolving with the whole evolution type of it. So it is edge work and is regenerative intention through design that I think are the good news for our times. There's so much wisdom in what you're saying and, and courage and strength. And honestly, I would love to continue this conversation about beautiful, luscious edge workers, uh, bringing everything that they've ever done and been to this moment in time and being everywhere in Brazil and in Edinburgh and in Pacific Northwest and everywhere. So, and I think that is actually going on when you come right down to it, I think it's actually going on. So thank you, May, so much. Thank you for the invitation, a pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review so that this hopeful message can get out to more people. Check out Post Carbon Institute's Resilience website for show notes and for more guest information. Join us on Patreon and become a financial supporter of the show and for exclusive content and special online events. Thanks also to Asher Miller, Amy Burringrood, and Clara Winter of Post Carbon Institute, plus production assistant Michelle Wig from frugalityandfreedom.com.